Good morning, brothers and sisters, girls and boys. What a wonderful thing to be in church again this morning. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship, worship of our triune God. We extend a special welcome to all those visitors who have joined us this morning, but also those who are with us remotely via the live stream locally, as well as those who have tuned in all the way from PNG or from Canada. Welcome all. This morning is very special in that we are privileged to witness the ordination of Brother Tim Sla to the office of missionary for our mission field in PNG. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has some announcements. We've been informed by the Free Reformed Church of Albany that they have extended a call to Reverend A. Paul, that's Brother David's brother, minister of our sister church in Mandedjong. We wish him and his wife a lot of wisdom in considering this call. Brother Martin Pott has requested to be relieved of his appointments to the office of deacon. Having heard his reasons, Consistory has granted his request. Subsequently, the brothers Ashley Mulder and Josh Van Dyke have been nominated for the office of deacon. And the election for one deacon will take place this morning, immediately after this worship service. So please, all those involved with the voting, remain seated. Coffee and refreshments will be served immediately after this service. Everyone is welcome to attend. You are reminded of the wedding of Brother Sean Dykstra to Lauren Howling, scheduled for this week, Saturday, the 4th of November, in a service commencing at 11 a.m. in this building with Reverend Poppy officiating. An attestation has been requested by Brother Sean Dykstra to the Free Reformed Church of Byford. We wish the young couple the Lord's blessing in their new congregation. The consistory as elders only will, the Lord willing, meet tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the consistory room. All those who are professing their faith next week Sunday, they are invited to attend that meeting. The funeral of our late brother Yitzhak de Hope is scheduled for Wednesday, the 8th of November. Details will follow at a later date. This morning, the worship service will be led by Reverend David Paul, our missionary in PNG, with the ordination being conducted by our own minister, Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 128, verse 1. Psalm 128, verse 1.
It's good to be gathered together again with you all today to see again some faces from, I think, six or five or six years ago. It's also a privilege to stand here now on behalf of the Reformed Churches in Papua New Guinea, and uh, I would like to extend greetings on their behalf as well. Um, they covet your prayers, they remember you in prayer regularly, and they are grateful and thankful for the support that you so often provide. Let's now rise and lift up our hearts to the Lord. Beloved brothers and sisters, together as we stand, we lift up our hearts and confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Receive God's greeting, grace to you, and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing together as our opening song now, hymn 40, the verses 1 to 5.
protecting us from Satan's lure. Christ keeps us by his power secure, will never be forsaken. It's with these words that we go into the reading of God's law. As God's people, we don't hear the law of God and sit under the law of God to tell others about how good we are, how righteous we are. Hearing the law of God is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves, to recognize our sin, to recognize our great need for a Savior, to fix our hearts on Him, and to come into worship with an appropriate mindset, one of humility, trust, and love for the God who forgives our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's now humble ourselves under the reading of the law of God and test our lives on it as a rule of thankfulness. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Having heard the law of God, let's now sing in response from Psalm 6, praying to the Lord for the sake of Jesus Christ, rebuke, rebuke me, Lord, no longer, nor chasten me in anger. Psalm 6, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 5.
Let's now come before our sovereign God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are the eternal God. You're the king of the universe. You hold everything in the, the vast expanse of the universe in the palm of your hand. There is not a single thing that can move if you do not allow it. There's not a single person that could draw a breath if you did not allow it. And you are holy and you are righteous and you are good. You stand in glory. You stand in all-surpassing light. There is no bit of darkness that can stand before you because you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. Now Father, when we consider your majesty and your glory, when we consider your goodness and your holiness, and we look at our lives, we have to humble ourselves. There is nothing else that we could do. As we are, how could we come into your presence? As we are, how could we look to you? How could we hope to enter into your throne room? We're the same as Adam and Eve. The moment one thing catches our attention, how quick we are to put our hand out and to take it. And it's not just that, Father, but so often when we find ourselves falling into sin, when we find ourselves getting into arguments with family members, with friends, when we find ourselves lusting after the things of this earth, when we find our minds wandering to places they should not go, how often do we not delight in that? It's to our shame that we often find joy in these things. As we are, how could we come to you? And yet we thank you, eternal God, because not only are you our God, for the sake of Jesus Christ, you are our Father. You hold the universe in your hand, and yet you also love us with the love of a father. You are close to us. You did not overlook our sin, but you have cleansed it, sending your son Jesus Christ to bear the burden that we could never bear. To bear the wrath against sin that's so rightly deserved. We thank you for your grace to us in him. And how in your love you now draw us into your presence. And we pray today, Father, that as we come into worship, as we come to hear your word proclaimed, all of these sins, all of these burdens that weigh so heavily on us coming in, that they could be laid aside. That for a while we would be able to sit under the preaching of your word, hear your word proclaimed, and rejoice in your goodness and love towards us. 
Rejoice in your redeeming power and the forgiveness of sins that is found in Jesus Christ. Bless the preaching of your word here today. And bless it not only here, but bless it across the world, wherever it goes out. Here, in Australia, in our mission churches in South America, Brazil, in Mexico, the, in Papua New Guinea, the work we support in the Philippines, our sister churches in North America and around the world. Father, we pray for your blessing on all of them, that the word would be proclaimed faithfully and that your people would delight in you. We pray for your guidance over us as we humble ourselves now and pray for open ears, open hearts, and that your name would be glorified. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. The scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel. We'll be looking at Ezekiel chapter 37, the verses 1 to 14, in connection with the ordination of our brother Tim Slaw here this morning. We'll be reflecting on the work of the Spirit, on the power of the Spirit of God, and on the power of His Word. Ezekiel chapter 37, the verses 1 to 14. Israel has just been in exile, and disaster has fallen on them. They've just heard of the fall of Jerusalem. And now this word of hope comes from the prophet Ezekiel, from the Lord by the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews up on them, 
and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit upon you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it, declares the Lord. So far the word of God. Let's now sing together from Psalm 51, verses 2 and 3, reflecting on the state of Israel during this time and looking at the promise that's held here. Bones you have crushed will leap up in dancing. The response to death and sorrow from sin.
The text for today comes from Ezekiel chapter 37, and we'll be reading together from verse 5. Verse 5 of the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today is a special day. Today is a beautiful day. It's a day in which we have the privilege of watching the ordination of another servant of God, of watching the ordination of our brother Tim Slot. For many of us, this is a time in which we're perhaps feeling a certain measure of Relief for the people in Southern River. A workman has been found after all that hard work, after all the effort that has gone into that. The people that have been called, the calls that have been declined along the way, the difficulties that have gone into that. And now finally a call that has been accepted. An exam that you've been able to witness and now we come to the ordination. For our brother, Tim Sla, this is the day in which you will be called Reverend Tim Sla after this. But not yet. All of the work that has gone into this, all of the effort that has gone to this, still waits this moment, this time of ordination. Why is that the case? Well, when we do this, we are acknowledging something. We're acknowledging something that's quite profound, actually. This is not something that we are doing in our own strength. There are some places in which, after you graduate from seminary, the lecturers will lay their hands on you and you will be ordained as a pastor and then you'll go out into the world and apply at different churches and they'll receive you as a pastor. That's not the way that we have followed here today. Nor was he ordained after classes where all the leaders of the church had the opportunity to get together after the exam, and lay hands on him. Certainly a paper was signed there, but that was not the ordination. He is ordained here in the presence of the church of God. He is ordained here after the preaching of the word. He's ordained here as a recognition of something, of someone who is so much greater than we are ourselves, the one whose help we need. We don't look 
to the help of man. We don't look to the wisdom of man. We cannot look to the wisdom of man. It's not a question of academic achievement. We don't look to the wisdom of leaders who stand over us. We cannot look to the wisdom of leaders who stand over us. Some trust in chariots, some in horsemen, but we know where that leads. We cannot trust in the strength of man, the wisdom of man. But we look to the Lord. We humble ourselves under the preaching of the word of God and under the work of his spirit in the presence of the people of God as we're gathered together in a special way. This is the significance of ordination in the church, the acknowledgement that we need the spirit of God. We are helpless, we are hopeless without it. The work of the spirit of God, without him, the person of the Holy Spirit. You're acknowledging the answer to the ancient question, son of man, can these dry bones live? Son of man, son of Adam, son of dust, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel heard this question and he knew the answer, but he struggled. It becomes apparent in our text that he struggled. Why did he struggle? Well, this was because of the context of Israel, the context that the people of God found themselves in at this time. And yet God brings a message of hope. And that's our theme for today as we examine our text. Resurrecting hope from despair. And we'll see, first of all, this slain. Secondly, the spirit. And last of all, spiritual rebirth. This picture of the slain would have been one that was very appropriate for the people of Israel. Ezekiel had been preaching for nine years in the valley of the Kibar Canal in Babylon when he received the vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. Ezekiel 1, verse 1 tells us that Ezekiel began to prophesy in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's exile, which was 593 B.C., and initially, for the first nine years of his ministry, there were words of judgment. There were words of condemnation that were raining down on the people of God. They were sitting here in exile, and Ezekiel, this man who was the son of a priest, this man who himself had been a priest, who had been taken out of the land with all of the other people, who had been cut off from service of the temple, he had come and he was carrying out his work as priest. This work of teaching, maybe not the sacrifices side of it, but this work of teaching and this extra gift that God had given him of prophecy, he was carrying out this work. But it was not a pleasant work. It was words of judgment, wrath raining down on the people of God. And the people rejected it. As they had been living in rebellion against God in the land of Israel, they had not been hearing the words of Ezekiel. In the land of Israel, they had felt that they were in peace and safety. But then the Babylonians, like a wave, came rolling down from the north and overwhelmed the people of God. 
They captured them. They took off their best, their brightest. They took off the leaders in the land, the priests. And they led them into captivity. But this was not enough. Still, so many of the people of God were hardened against the word of God. This valley of dry bones, it's not just bones that are there. They're dry bones. There's nothing of life left in them. It was a picture of spiritual death for the people of God. There was nothing left. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about how people who are away from God, people who are living in their natural state, are like those who are dead in sin. And this is our natural state apart from Christ. This is why we so desperately need Christ. Because apart from him, we are spiritually dead. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in a Christian church, in a Christian family. It doesn't matter if you've stood up and you've professed your faith, if it was a matter of custom or superstition for you. And that's all that there was to it. That doesn't matter if your heart is away from Christ. If you have no love for Christ. If you've turned your back on Christ and you've stopped your ears to the words of God. You are dead in your sin. You, are no, you have no more life in you spiritually than a valley full of dry bones. The people of Israel, they had grown up as believers, or at least as members traditionally of the family of Jews, but they had turned their backs on God. Many of them had been circumcised, but they had turned their backs on God. This was a picture of spiritual death. And then a further disaster came to pass. This fulfillment of the words of Ezekiel. Ezekiel had said this was coming if the people would not repent, if they would not turn back to the Lord their God. He had said this judgment was coming, and then the judgment came. In Ezekiel 33, verse 21, we read, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. What a blow this would have been for the people of God. Israel had tried to stand up in rebellion again. And they had been completely overwhelmed. The temple had been burned. The city that was beautiful in situation, the joy of the whole earth, was now torn down in rubble, in ruins. Many of them had still had their hearts joined to the city of Jerusalem. This was the physical thing that held them to their homeland. And now that it was torn down, for them, they had nothing. Because there was no spiritual connection there anymore. For them, it was just a physical thing. And now God allowed even this to be taken from them. This was a time of, of devastation, of hopelessness, of shame. 
sitting under the trees of Babylon with the Babylonians coming by and saying, come sing for us one of your songs. How can we sing when we're weeping, when the city is destroyed? How can we do this? We're going to be just like all of the other nations. We are going to be absorbed into this mighty Babylonian empire. Our culture, our history is going to be wiped out. We are finished. There is no hope left for us. But on the heels of this, Ezekiel brings a message of hope. Of people who have grown up as the people of God, but whose hearts have been hardened who have stopped their ears to the word of God. Maybe one of you is in that position today, where you found yourself for so many years having stopped your ears to the word of God, and you think, is there any hope left for me? You've come to the realization that, yes, this is me. I'm no different than them. Ezekiel comes with a message of hope. On the heels of this disaster, in Ezekiel 36, the Lord calls the mountains, the hills, and the valleys as witness of his jealousy and his fury because Israel has suffered the insults of the nations. And he says, therefore, thus says the Lord, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. But still, Israel rejected this message. They are sitting here in the midst of all of this misery. This message has come. And they've heard Ezekiel's preaching year after year after year again, this preaching of judgment and condemnation, and it's actually fallen on them now. They feel like there's no hope. Right on the heels of disaster, how would you feel if someone would come to you with this kind of a message? The world would say, that's a cold comfort. That's a false comfort. How can you say these kinds of things to people who have just faced such disaster? But God says, I am the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God. I have not forgotten my covenant, even though you have. I will hold fast to you. And when I bring this to pass, the nations will know that I am the Lord. I am God and I say there is hope. Ezekiel wasn't preaching hope just to lift the spirits of some people who had been down. It wasn't just a quick and easy something that he was giving to people who were down in the dumps, like somebody who is suffering from depression and somebody who comes to them and says, Well, you know what? It's a beautiful day today. It's not all that bad, is it? Think of all the good things you have in your life. Things will get better. Just cheer up. No, he comes with a, a message that is more than just surface, a message that has depth, 
a message that has true hope. Ezekiel preached hope to the Israelites because they were feeling hopeless and discouraged and because they were exiled from their homeland, living in a foreign land, because they finally realized that they were truly cut off, as he says here. All of Israel says, our bones are dried off. Our hope is lost. Indeed, we are cut off. The temple is destroyed. They feel now the seriousness of their situation, like they are cut off from God. And in the midst of this, for them, in the midst of a group of people that feel like they have been completely cut off from God, and there is no return, God comes with this message. I am there. I am God. I am your covenant God. And I will bring you back. Ezekiel's name means the Lord strengthens, and the Lord indeed strengthens these slain. These who have lost hope, these who are dead, these who have no hope of return, who are no better than dry bones. There is nothing they could do. They can stand up against the might of the Babylonian Empire, return home, and rebuild the temple in all of its glory. They were nothing. But the Lord says, I am the Lord. Ezekiel's name means the Lord strengthens, and the Lord indeed strengthens. This Yahweh, the covenant God, doesn't strengthen lightly. But he does bring his word. He deals with sin, but in the face of death and hopelessness and despair, his spirit works and the Lord strengthens with his promise, the promise of the spirit. This is the second thing we'll consider today. The spirit The Lord was making a statement to the people of God. They had heard this initial prophecy that came back in Ezekiel 36, and they, they could not understand how this could come to pass. And the Lord makes a statement by bringing Ezekiel in to this valley of dry bones. Now, Ezekiel was the son of a Zadok, Zadokite priest named Buzi. He himself grew up as a priest. He grew up under the priesthood. He grew up as a priest. And he, he understood what it meant to be a priest. He understood the need for holiness. Now the Lord carries this man into a place of unholiness. Of uncleanliness. A place of corruption. A valley of dry bones. This would have been an alarming thing for Ezekiel. I think for all of us, this would have been an alarming thing. It really would have to be dropped in a valley full of dry bones, full of skeletons, full of war dead. But for him, especially as a priest of God, it would have been an alarming thing. The Lord was making a statement in this location. These would quite likely have been war dead, possibly the Valley of Jezreel the city of Megiddo, the troops from the north would come sweeping down southward and they would funnel through this valley. This valley became the point where nations would clash together. It was a defensive point for the people of God. They would try to bottle up the oncoming armies to keep them from sweeping southward and spreading out and attacking cities that lay defenseless. Villages, outlying villages that lay defenseless. This would be their first line of defense. 
And so as the Babylonians or Assyrians or other Marmies would be coming down from the north, this was a sign of defeat, a symbol of defeat and of hopelessness for the people of God. It highlights their despair. This is not just the valley of dead. This is the valley of dry bones. This is the valley of their defeat. This is the valley of no return for them now that Babylon has won. So the Lord is making a statement in the location, telling them, you are finished. There is no hope. He was making a statement in the question that follows, son of man, can these dry bones live? Now, I want you to notice the response of Ezekiel. How does Ezekiel respond? Ezekiel does not say no. Ezekiel knows the power of the Lord. He's a priest of God. He's been preaching the word of God. But Ezekiel also doesn't say yes. He does not say yes. You can sense the hopelessness, the feeling of misery, even though he's preached this message of hope before, these words of hope before, his heart still isn't entirely behind it. He just says, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. There are times in our lives when we are faced with the rubble of our consequences, uh, the consequences of our actions, when everything has fallen down before us, as, as this valley full of dry bones would have been a picture of the consequence of Israel's actions. And we're sitting there in that kind of a situation. We've seen how our life has fallen down in shambles around us. Our marriage has fallen down. Or maybe in high school, how our relationships with our friends have started to crumble. And we just feel exhausted. Can these dry bones live? I know the power of God. I don't see how. Lord, you know. The Lord was making a statement in the location. He was making a statement in the question to show Ezekiel where he was at. And then he was making a statement in the command, speak to these bones. Speak to these bones. The world will say, this is just foolishness. Speaking to bones? The world will say, when your life falls down in shambles, this is just foolishness. How will speaking help? For Tim, when you go out to the field, maybe you've already had these conversations. You'll certainly run into these conversations. There will be people who will say, this is a waste of money. A missionary who goes out speaking, preaching, what a waste of resources. You should be bringing water. You should be bringing food. You should be bringing education and training. Speaking the word of God. What a waste of resources. Do they even want you there? But he calls him to speak. And he says that speaking brings ruach. 
This Hebrew word ruach means wind, breath, or spirit. We find that coming up time and time again in our passage, wind, breath, spirit, prophesied to the breath, prophesied to the wind. It all comes to the same word, ruach. And it's a picture of the work of the spirit, the work that accompanies the preaching of the word, the power of God. There is power here, but not in our own strength. We cannot rely on ourselves. We need to see the valley of dry bones. We need to come to a place where we say, Oh Lord, you know. When I was in seminary, one of my professors told us of a different seminary, a professor that he had spoken to, and they, have, they sometimes have conversations with other seminaries that are uh, across the, the continent. And he spoke of one professor who made a habit of taking his... Uh, homiletic students, so the study of preaching, had the habit of taking them to a graveyard. And he would line them all up in a row. And then he would say to the first man, preach to these graves. Tell them to stand up. Tell them to open up, to be alive again. This student, understandably, looks at, the, looks at his professor like he's crazy. You want me to say what? He says, no, 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 you go. You preach to these graves. You preach in this graveyard. So the student stands up and says, stand up. Wake up. Everybody's kind of laughing a little bit. And then the next student goes. He's failed. Okay, the next student goes. And he, tells the, he also tells the bones to rise up. And one by one, they go down the line with every student becoming more expressive and more eloquent as they get into it, telling these bones, telling these graves to open and these bones to rise up. But of course, nothing happens. And this professor said, you see the power that you have here. When you stand in the pulpit, you have the exact same power. By yourself, you are powerless. Your words don't have any power to raise people from the dead. You yourself, no matter how well-trained you are, no matter how eloquent you are, no matter what a great spokesman, how charismatic you are, you have no power. It's the Spirit of God working through the Word that has the power. Recognize how helpless you are. Recognize how hopeless you are. And then preach the word, relying on the Spirit. Can these dry bones live? God uses three means to bring life to dead bones. First of all, the preaching of the word. Ezekiel is told to prophesy, Ezekiel 37 verse 4, and he does so. Next, the prayer of God's people. God urges Ezekiel to call upon the breath to breathe into the slain. Ezekiel 37, verse 9. Now, Ezekiel is not talking to the winds personified. You may have heard old stories from Europe speaking of the north wind, how someone speaks to the north wind. No, 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 no. He is speaking to 
what is translated as wind, breath, or spirit. He is praying to the Spirit of God. This word ruach, it has a force behind it. It has a power behind it. You can see the movement. It's not just a gentle breeze, but it's a wind that shakes the house. It's the wind that filled the house at the time of Pentecost. It is unseen, but its effects are clearly evident. This is the prayer of God's people. And then the power of God's Holy Spirit. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath. I will make the Spirit enter you. And you will come to life. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John 6 verse 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is the power of God. The words of God come with power. This is necessary for revival. This is necessary for mission work. This is necessary for preaching in any corner of the world. The preaching, the proclamation of the word, the prayers of God's people showing a complete dependence on God, that they don't have a hope anywhere else but on God alone and on the work of the Spirit alone. And then the actual work of the Holy Spirit. This is the explanation of Pentecost when people came to faith as a result of this preaching, Acts 2. The prayer, Acts 1 verse 14, and the work of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 18 and 38. And this is necessary for you, Tim. And this is necessary for all of us here in Southern River. And once the Spirit works, that is when we'll see spiritual rebirth. The idea of spiritual rebirth, of speaking and preaching, is foolishness to the world. And yet the Spirit speaks through the Word. And as Ezekiel stands up and he prophesies, things happen. Bones start rattling. Another translation says that there's an earthquake that comes and the whole world starts to shake and rattle. And the bones start to come together bone on bone. Tendons appear, sealing them together. Flesh comes, covering everything. And a whole army arises. He prays, he prophesies again. And the Spirit enters in. And they live. These people who are dead, these people who are hopeless, who had nothing left, they stand and they live. What a beautiful hope for the people of Israel. There is power. This points us to Christ as we look to the past. In the past, the return to their land from exile that took place in the years that followed would also be the sign of God's power for all the world to see and acknowledge. Verse 14. The physical return of Israelite exiles to the promised land. This began with the decree of Silas, the Persian conqueror of Babylon in 539 BC. 
And only a few decades after Ezekiel preached hope, this came to pass, all preparing the way for the Messiah to come. This spiritual rebirth was needed for God's covenant promise to be fulfilled, and it was fulfilled in part with the return and spiritual renewal under Ezra instead of the assimilation of the people of God. There was a people by God's grace for the Messiah to come to. God had no reason, God had no need. He did have a reason, his own name. He says that in the previous chapter. God had no need to reach out for his people and to preserve for himself a people for the Messiah to come to. He didn't need our praise. He didn't need our prayers, but he desired them. He had a remnant that was all uh, spiritually reborn, needed for the Lord's covenant promise, this return and spiritual renewal under Ezra. And then it came one shade fuller under Pentecost. As the house shook in Pentecost and a rushing wind came inside and people spoke in the languages of the surrounding nations, the word went out with power. 3,000 were converted that day as the core of the church under the rule of Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven. This needed to happen for the church, this renewal, this rebirth for the people of God. But it's not just the Passover, it's a future hope. It's the reminder that as God gathered all his people back in to Israel, so God is in the process of, by his spirit, by his word, by his power, gathering together the nations into his kingdom. This beautiful work that we get to be a part of. This completely spirit-dependent work. People of every tongue and tribe and language and nation are being drawn into the kingdom of God. We see it fulfilled one shade fuller. And in the future, it's preparing for a new life and a new day on the new earth where we'll be able to join with the, spirit, with the people of God and rejoice with them in the presence of our God for eternity. But this isn't just something that helps us in the past. This isn't just something that we're hoping for in the future. It's also something that comes to us today. It's a promise that touches us this very moment. Christ left, but he didn't leave us as orphans. Jesus Christ suffered, died on the cross, was buried, raised up again for our salvation. And then he ascended into heaven. But he didn't leave us as orphans, he says in John chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Focus on the work of Christ. Focus on the renewing power of the Spirit. Tim, as you preach, don't preach lightly. 
I know you won't. But don't reach lightly. Recognize the power of the Spirit. People will see from the outside and they will notice the change wrought in Christ through the Spirit by the Word. In one area that we've been working in, people were looking at it from the outside and they said that was such a dark place before you reformed missionaries came in. There were people who were killing each other. There were marriages that were broken where the arguments were physical, violent. The screaming could be heard in the next village over. There were accusations of sorcery and killings as a result of that. There were fights with the surrounding <coughs> house lines. And then the word of God came. A light shining in the darkness. The Spirit of God came with the preaching of the Word, and He worked in power. And you can see the change that came over this area. That's not us. That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes with power. The power to change. And as you look ahead, Tim, Think of the words of Ezekiel, where it comes from death to life, where these vivid transformations come forth. But this isn't just something for the mission field. This is something for all of you here today as well. This is true for Southern River Church as well. You hear these tremendous stories from the mission field. And maybe you were like I was when I was younger, as a child, as a teen growing up, thinking, why can't we see those kinds of things in our church today? But I want you to understand something. When the work of Christ happens among you, it might be less visible in some ways in our Reformed churches. Because people, by God's grace, have been raised in covenantal families. It might be a little bit less visible because as those who are on the outside, those of you who are on the outside who have come in and who have been joined to the people of God, God has already been doing such a tremendous work in your lives up to this point that it's hard to see how much further God has been uh, working in your lives. But even so, it's no less a radical work of Christ. The moment that someone leaves their life of sin, they repent and they cling to Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation. Belgian Confession Article 12 says that this is not inferior to creation or the raising from the dead. You might think it's not quite as visible here. Perhaps from your point of view, but from God's point of view, there's power. People were brought from death to life. And the angels in heaven rejoiced, as Jesus said in his parable. So for all of us, let's cling to the word of God. Treasure this word of God. Treasure the preaching of the word of God. 
pray for the Spirit to work powerfully through the preaching of the Word, through your daily test, through your daily witnessing of who God is and what He has done, what His Word proclaims about Him. And be completely dependent, not on yourself, but on our sovereign God who lives and reigns forever, to whom is all glory and power and honor and strength. Tim's ordination is not a thing of man, not an academic achievement. It's a thing of God. It's recognition, a recognition of completely dependence, complete dependence on God. He works change by His Spirit through the Word, and that Word has power. It's a good thing to remember today as we witness this ordination. It's a good thing to commemorate on a day like today in the way that we do. And it's a good thing to rejoice in it. So, brothers and sisters, as we witness this ordination today, think of the power of God. And rejoice in it. Amen. In response to the preaching of the word, let's sing together from hymn 14, acknowledging the power of God. We hear his steps approaching, we tremble and quake, and yet we do not fear as those who are cast off from him, but we Rejoice in the Lord. We take joy in our God. Hymn 14, the verses 1, 8, 9, and 10.
Brothers and sisters, we get to turn to the very special occasion of the ordination of our brother Tim Slaw. To that end, we're first going to read together the form for the ordination of missionaries. If you wish to follow along, you can find that on page 621 of your book of praise. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the consistory has now twice published the name of our brother Slaw to learn if anyone has objections against his ordination as missionary. Since no one has brought forward anything lawful against his doctrine and life, will now in the name of the Lord proceed to his ordination. Let's first hear what the Holy Scripture teaches about the office of the ministers of the word who are set apart for the preaching of the gospel to those who are outside. God, our Heavenly Father, in his good pleasure, gathers a church from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He calls them out of the corrupt race of man unto eternal life. For this purpose, God sent his only Son into the world, who came as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that they may have life and have it abundantly. He calls his sheep not only from Israel, but also from all the nations, and leads them to his fold, that there may be one flock, one shepherd. In order to gather his church, Christ has sent the Spirit as he promised, saying, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The apostles were also witnesses sent by Christ as he had been sent by the Father. They testified that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. It is the calling of the church through this testimony of the apostles to move people to believe in Christ crucified. From the time of the apostles, the Holy Spirit has commanded the church to set apart, set men apart for the work to which he has been to which he has called them. In order that this command may be fulfilled, the Lord Christ has now given to this congregation a minister of the word. According to the mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles, a missionary shall first of all preach the word of God to those who are without Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Thus he brings hope to those who have no hope and are without God in the world that they, being far off, may come near through the blood of Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He has entrusted the ministry of reconciliation to men whom he made ambassadors of Christ. Therefore the missionaries shall beseech men in the name of Christ to be reconciled to God. He must hold firm to the reliable word of God so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to refute those who contradict it. Second, he ought to baptize believers and their children in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that the Lord has commanded his church. And since the Lord, since the Lord Jesus has commanded his church to proclaim his death until he comes, he shall also prepare the table of the Lord in the midst of the believers. It shall be his duty to admonish the believers when they sin in doctrine and life, 
and to deny them the use of the sacraments if they do not heed his admonitions. For the Apostle Paul warned, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Third, as soon as it, is fe as it becomes feasible, he shall in good order ordained overseers and deacons, according to the charge and example of the Apostle Paul, so that they, as faithful men who are able to teach others also, may guide the flock of the Lord, which he obtained with the blood of his Son. He shall, however, not be hasty in the laying on of hands, according to the warning of Paul to Timothy. In order that the apostles would be able to fulfill this charge, the Lord Christ, to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, confirmed and encouraged them, and in them his whole church, with the promise, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This promise shall stand until the holy city, the new Jerusalem, has come down out of heaven from God. Then the promise will be fulfilled, that the nation shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Therefore the Lord Christ calls those blessed who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter by the gates. Brother Slot, can I ask you to please rise? And now, beloved Brother Slaw, you're about to enter upon your office as it has been described. Therefore you are to answer the following questions before God and his holy church. First, do you feel in your heart that God himself, through his congregation, has called you to this holy ministry? Second, do you receive the Old and New Testament as the only word of God and the complete doctrine of salvation, and do you reject all doctrines conflicting with it? Third, do you promise faithfully to discharge the duties of your office and to adorn the doctrine of God with a godly life? Do you also promise to do your work under the direction of and in close supervision with the consistory of this church? Do you promise to submit to the discipline of the church in case you should become delinquent in doctrine or life? Brother Slaw, what is your answer? I do. Beloved brother, go then in the power of the Holy Spirit to the work which God, through his church, has called you as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed, therefore, of testifying about our Lord, and take your share of suffering for the gospel in the power of God, who has saved us, and who has called us with the holy calling. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Then I invite you to come forward, and if I can ask the elders and Brother Paul to come forward as well. Tim, I didn't get the uh, kneeling bench out of Sue. If you, if you just stay there, just stand. It's okay. And we'll all stand around here. Our Heavenly God and Father, who called you to this holy office, enlighten you with his spirit, and so govern you in your ministry, that you may fulfill it obediently, and may bear fruit to the honor of his name, and the expansion of the kingdom of his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you're invited to rise. We're all going to sing together from Psalm 134, verse 3. Sorry, verse 1, 2, and 3.
Beloved brothers and sisters, the Lord has granted you this servant. Receive him with all joy. Beseech the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he may guard him, together with his family, in all their ways. Pray for him that the word of the Lord may speed on and triumph as it did among you. Since we of ourselves are not capable of all this, we'll call upon Almighty God. Let us pray. Merciful Father, you are pleased to gather to yourself out of the whole human race a church chosen to eternal life. We thank you that you gather this church by the ministry of man and that you have graciously provided this congregation with a faithful servant who is to labor in the ministry of your word to those who are outside. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you will equip him for the ministry to which you have called him. Enlighten his mind that he may understand the scriptures and open his mouth that he may boldly proclaim your gospel so that through his preaching many may come to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant him wisdom and perseverance in all difficulties and oppression which may confront him in his ministry. Guard him, Father, in all his ways. Grant him your grace that he may stead remain steadfast to the end and with all your faithful servants may enter into the joy of his Lord. Grant this congregation and the cooperating churches your grace, that they may see what you are doing in this ministry, and that they may continually remember your servant in their prayers, in order that they may rejoice in the propagation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, Father, we, we also pray for us as a congregation that you take care of us and all our, our other needs as well. We want to bring before you this morning especially the, the family of our brother Yitz de Hope and also us as, as his church family. Father, this past week you, you took our brother to yourself and you did that in a, in a really quick way. None of us were expecting it. It happened really quickly. Father, we thank you that our days are numbered, that you've written every single one of them in your book before one of them came to be. We thank you that our brother could live for 93 years. And we thank you for all the blessings that you have given him. We thank you for the measure of your spirit that you've put in his heart, that he was a man who loved you and who loved your people. He had so much knowledge of so many of your people, and he had such a big heart in, in opening his heart and love to them. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that he was to us. Thank you that you brought him and his wife to us, that they could be among us, that you took her home, and now also that you took him home. And now, Father, we want to come to your throne of grace, and we want to ask you for your help. We want to pray for his family, that you would comfort them during this time. Help them to look to you in faith, to believe the promises of the resurrection, and to receive the promise of the gospel. Grant, Lord, that they may be comforted by you and by your spirit. And we also pray the same for us, Lord, 
Our brother was, was deeply involved in many of our lives, and he's going to leave a big hole for us. And so we pray that you would please comfort us with your word and spirit. Help us to remember the promises of the gospel. Grant that we may believe in the resurrection of the dead, and grant that we may look forward to the time where we get to meet together with you, and we get to live with all your people in the new heaven and earth. Your Father, thank you for this great promise that we live with a view to the eternal future that's in store for us. We pray that you would help us to do this in every way. There are so many more members of our congregation, Father, who, who struggle with sickness and with brokenness, who have to deal with the breakdown of the body, who have to contend with pain. Father, we, we entrust them to your throne of grace. And we pray that you would be near to them, and that you would comfort them. We also think this morning, especially of our sister Tamara Alberts, she heard the news that her mother is, is really ill, that the cancer is spread to her brain. And we want to pray, Father, for, for her sister, for her mother. Please be with her mother and surround her with your comfort. And please be with her sister as well. Please give her the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please be near to all those who need you in special ways. Father, we also thank you for the blessings that you give. We're so grateful, Lord, for the, for the gift of, of birthdays, for the gift of anniversaries. We have a number of members of our congregation in the coming weeks who get to celebrate milestones, some of the senior members of our church. We think especially today of our sister Yanni Zardesma. She also gets to celebrate her 94th birthday, and we, we thank and praise you for that. Father, we ask that you would please take care of us as your church also in the election of office bearers. In a moment, we, we need to elect another deacon, and we pray for the gift of your spirit, Lord, and we pray for your blessing upon the time we have together. Grant that we may elect a brother for office, and that the brother may be able to, to take this office upon himself. Grant that we may have the, the, the ordination of office bearers, and that in due time that these men may take up their task among your congregation. Father, we honor you that you use the ministry of men in order to bring your word to your people. And we glorify you that through this ministry, that you build people up in faith in Jesus Christ, that you gather people to yourself, and that your number of the elect is being fulfilled. Thank you that we may be a part of that. We pray for your blessing upon it. We ask, Father, that you give us great joy today as we, we celebrate the, the ordination of our brother Tim. We entrust him and we trust his wife, Alana, and their, their daughter, Kezia, and to your throne of grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would be near to them in the coming weeks and months. Please be with them as they travel back to Canada. Please bless them, Father, as, as they're busy doing some further mission studies. Please enable them to receive some, some cross-cultural training. And please bless them as they take up the work on the mission field. Father, thank you so much for bringing them to this point. Thank you for blessing them in so many ways. Thank you for allowing us to be able to call our brother. And thank you for working in his heart that he's, that he's willing to accept that call. And that we pray, Father, for every blessing upon them. Surround them with your nearness and shine your face upon them. And please do it for the sake of our Lord Jesus. We also pray, Father, that you would please bless the work of the mission board. We're so thankful for the faithful work that they do. We're so grateful for the support that they provide, not only for our brother Tim, but also for the, for the other missionaries and their wives, and for the others in the field. And we wish to ask, Father, for your continued grace and blessing over them. Give them wisdom and discretion. Give them good judgment. Grant that they may provide good support. And please grant that through their work as well, that the ministry of the gospel may be blessed. Thank you so much that we can cooperate together in these things, Father. Please give us your grace, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, you um, now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. This morning, the collection is going to be for the Ministry of Mercy. And then following the collection, you're invited to rise. So we're going to sing together from hymn 47, the verses 1, 3, and 5.
Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Please sit down. Tim, it's a very special thing that, um, that you're ordained as a, um, a minister of the gospel. Let me come down here. This is a bit awkward. It's a very special thing that you're ordained as a minister of the gospel in our congregation. We, um, um, we're so thankful to the Lord that you could accept the call here and that you could come here and that you could take up your work here. Um, it's a bit of a um, thing for Tim. Um, when Tim came here, uh, he's on the other side of the world from his family. And just to understand the context a little bit, Tim's dad is a minister of the gospel. And I chatted with Tim a couple of weeks ago, and he would have loved to have his dad ordain him. Um, so it's a bit bittersweet here today. It's a very beautiful thing that Tim is ordained. It's, it's a little sad that dad can't be here. Um, and not only is his father a minister of the gospel, so Reverend James Law, his grandfather, Reverend Pim Den Hollander, is also a minister. His uncle, Reverend Rolf Den Hollander, whom we called here 20 years ago, is also a minister. And his other uncle, Reverend William Den Hollander, who's currently serving as a professor at the seminary, is also a minister of the gospel. And so we're on the other side of the world, and all your family and loved ones are over there, and it's a bit sad for you. And so we are so grateful to God that he brings you here, and at the same time, we're a bit sad for you, together with you, and how that all turns out. Um, they're watching via the live stream, so um, we, yeah, we celebrate together with them. Tim, there's a couple things we'd love to do with you. Um, we invited you to consistory meeting just recently. Um, you were not yet ordained as a minister of the gospel. You are now ordained as a minister of the gospel. And so one of the things we thought we'd ask you is if you're willing to sign the um, subscription form. Usually we do that as a consistory meeting. As a congregation, we hardly ever see that. Sometimes we do it in a congregational meeting. So we thought, well, let's just take this opportunity. Let's do it right now. So I'm going to read through the form for a subscription for ministers of the gospel, and we're going to ask you to sign that, if that's okay. We could do it in a congregational meeting, if you're, or in a consistory meeting, if you really want, but this is a nice occasion. You could just stay there. I'll read it out first. And then after that, just to be clear about this, after that I'm going to invite Brother Humphrey Fast to come forward. Humphrey's here. Brother Fast is here as a, uh, as a delegate of classes. At our classes, we appointed one of the delegates to, um, to speak um, and just to represent our classical district at the ordination of our brother Slaw. Now, I need to find this form here. We do have a form. Church order forms for subscription. Yeah, I have a photocopy, but it's in the good book. And if it's in the good book, I thought, let me read it out of the good book. There we are. Subscription form for ministers of the word. If you want to follow along, you don't have to, but if you want to, page 661 of your book of praise. This is a new thing. We never used to have it in the book of praise, but now that we have the Australian book of praise, we have it in the back. So let's use it. So the subscription form there, we're going to read the one, the subscription form for ministers of the word. We, ministers of the word, in the Free Reformed Churches of Australia, signatories to this subscription form, sincerely and with good conscience before the Lord, declare by our signature 
that we wholeheartedly believe and are fully convinced that all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the three forms of unity, namely the Belgian Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, are in full agreement with the Word of God. We promise, therefore, that we will diligently teach and faithfully defend the aforesaid doctrine, without either directly or indirectly contradicting the same in our public preaching or writing. We also promise not only to earnestly reject all errors which conflict with the aforesaid doctrine, but that we shall at all times be willing to expose and contradict them, doing our utmost in reproving, combating, and helping to resist such errors. Should reservations regarding the said doctrine arise in our minds at any time in the future, we faithfully promise not to propose, teach, or defend them, neither in our preaching nor in our writing, publicly or privately, but to first disclose these reservations to the ecclesiastical assemblies in the ecclesiastical way, so they, that they may examine them. Furthermore, we propose that we will always be prepared to submit ourselves willingly to the judgment of the ecclesiastical assemblies. Should we refuse to submit ourselves to the judgment of the ecclesiastical assemblies, or should we persist in our reservations, we agree by that very fact to be suspended from our office. Moreover, should the consistory, the classes, or synod at any time upon sufficient grounds and in order to preserve the uniformity and purity of the true doctrine, deem it necessary to require of us a further explanation of our opinion regarding any part of the said doctrine, we promise always to be willing and ready to comply with such a request upon the understanding that by the very fact of our refusal, we will be suspended from our office. However, we reserve for ourselves the right of appeal, should we believe ourselves aggrieved by the judgment of the consistory or classes. Until such a decision is made upon such an appeal, we will submit to the determination and judgment of the consistory and or classes. Hmm. Um, and I think it means there failing to do so, be suspended from our office. Um, should the, there's a typo there. Moreover, should the consistory, the classes are synod at any time upon sufficient grounds and in order to preserve the uniformity and purity of the true doctrine, deem it necessary to require of us further explanation of our opinion regarding any part of the said doctrine, we promise always to be willing and ready to comply with such a request upon the understanding that by that very fact of our refusal will be suspended from our office. However, we reserve for ourselves the right of appeal should we believe, we believe ourselves aggrieved by the judgment of consistory or classes. Until such a decision is made upon such an appeal, we will submit to the determination and judgment of consistory or classes. This form needs a little bit of work. That is really awkward. Tim, I got a form here that you're going to sign, and I'll just, just to be clear about the last, um, I'll just, what I just do with you, I'll just read through this last paragraph again, um, just so that we're all on the same page and you know what you're signing. So it says at the end here, moreover, should the consistory classes or synod at any time upon sufficient grounds in order to preserve the uniformity and purity of the true doctrine, deem it necessary to require of us a further explanation of our opinion regarding any part of the said doctrine, we promise always to be willing and ready to reply to comply with such a request upon the understanding that by the very fact of our refusal will be re suspended from our office. However, we reserve for ourselves the right of appeal 
should we believe ourselves to be aggrieved by the judgment of consistory or classis? Until such a decision is made upon such an appeal, we will submit to the determination and judgment of consistory or classis. Period. If you can sign that. Just on the bottom here, just sign a date. Brother, thank you so much. If I can invite um, Brother Fass forward. Dear brothers, dear brothers and sisters, you're not on yet. Try it again. Dear brothers and sisters, in Southern River. Along with you, the churches of Classis North are thankful to the Lord that he has given you a minister of the word in the form of Reverend Sla, who may be set apart for the extraordinary task of missionary in Papua New Guinea. You now have a missionary to help the church plants in Port Moresby. You have a missionary who can fulfill the mandate of our Lord in Matthew 28 to preach to and instruct the present mission field plants, to give pastoral care, to administer the sacraments, to train future leaders, and to preach the message of the good news to other people in the part of PNG who have not heard the word or are estranged from it. Brothers and sisters, congratulations. Dear Reverend and Mrs. Sla, congratulations to you both. What a privilege to serve Christ's precious church. The churches of Classis North pray that you may both continue to receive the health, strength and wisdom that you will need to carry out your extraordinary task in PNG. Tim, may you preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season, convince, rebuke and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching, as the Spirit said once to another Timothy. Alana, may you assist Tim in all good things. We heard this morning that Tim and Alana don't do this in their own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to read with you something that the Spirit says in Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. Tim and Alana, we wish you both God's indispensable blessings and joy in your new position as those feet are sent by this church to proclaim God's good tidings in Port Moresby.
Reverend Slaw. It's always a bit, takes a bit of getting used to when you're first a minister, especially if your dad's a minister. Reverend Slaw, we're so grateful to God that God has brought you to this point. Also, Elena, we're, thank you so much for accepting the call for missionary work here in PNG. Thank you for coming to join with the team in PNG. We are really grateful that you do this. Um, I've had many a Saturday talking with Frank um, at the soccer field, and we're talking about the mission work, and we're talking about how do we move forward, we're talking about who do we call, and how do we, how do we arrange things, and what does it look like to go forward. And, and when, Reverend, when, uh, when our brother, or Frank, I didn't invite you forward here, but if you really want to say, or if you would like to say something, you're more than welcome to do that too. But it was just a real joy, because when we first, he was first investigating, maybe calling you, then the great joy was that you were possibly open to that. And he's like, oh man, this might be really good. And then he had a few more conversations, and he talked, especially to Alana. And Alana was a little bit interested in this, and thinking, oh, 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 maybe we could do this. And Frank is like, oh man, this might really work. I think we have one who will be really, really, really good. And so it was, it was very exciting for the, uh, for the mission board, um, with the excitement that you had for the work. And so we're, we're deeply grateful that God has put that in your heart. Um, we're really also deeply grateful for the missionaries who are there. Um, Reverend Pohl, um, we're so thankful for the work that God does through you and also Reverend Deong. Um, together they work together and it's such a blessing that we have two men on the field who know the Lord, who love the Lord dearly and who are a great support for each other. And that's just a, it's a precious gift when you get to do ministry together. And so I'm not sure if the congregation is aware, but the idea is that um, Reverend Slana's wife are going to go to Ukurumpa. They're going to be there for a period of time in the first year working alongside of Reverend Pohl and Reverend Deong. And during that time, going to learn the language, going to settle into the culture, going to begin to do the work in and around Ukurumpa, but then after that, go down to Port Moresby and continue with the work in Port Moresby. And so we're so thankful that you can do it together, that there's a network of people. When you get to Port Moresby, that you'll have Mark Mulder there. Um, we don't know who all the other people will be, so that will be um, something else for you. Um, but we're grateful to God that he brings you there and that he doesn't. In line with, um, with the great encouragement that we received this morning through the preaching, I'd like to read just one verse or a couple of verses with you from the letter of James. When you become a missionary, um, life is not always easy. Those who go in the mission field, I've had a number of friends who are dear friends of mine who've gone on to be the missionaries, and I have gone into regular ministry. And in regular ministry, you have the regular support of the congregation, and when you get into the mission field, you're pretty isolated. And it's often quite a difficult task for missionaries to be out there. There are enough missionaries who also face physical danger. You're in a country that doesn't have the rule of law in the same way that we have the rule of law. And so I had the conversation with Tim and Lana a couple of weeks ago. We were chatting, and I said, you know, it would be really good for us if ever you're feeling that you're in danger and that this isn't good, that you communicate with us and that we help out and we do whatever it takes to do what we can to help and protect you. And it was amazing, the response. These missionaries, they're all the same, eh? Yeah. It's like, well, that's a bit of par for the course for mission work. If you read in the history of missions, it sometimes happens that thing happens, things happen. And yet the Lord cares. And the Lord takes care of you, and he carries you through that, and he brings you to the other side. Well, Tim and Lana, we hope and pray that the Lord will protect you very well, and that he keep you safe, and that nothing happen to you. It might not necessarily be easy. God talks about that. James 1, verse 2, counts it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God even uses these things for our good. And then he goes on in this passage, the last verse I'd like to read with you, a few verses later in the chapter, he goes on in this passage and he talks about how when sinful things happen to us, it's our own fault. We are sinners and we give in to sin. We have the desire in our heart and we give in to that and we do that. But in contrast with that, he says in verse 13 and following, or for, sorry, verse 16 and following, he says that the Lord is different. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. May God bless the ministry of the gospel that through your proclamation of the word, that the Lord brings forth many more who are also the first fruits of his work. Let's pray to God, let's thank God, and then we're going to sing together. Dear God in heaven, we thank you so much that our brother Sla has accepted the call to serve in PNG and that he could be ordained into office. Thank you so much for the spirit that you have given them. Thank you for the gifts that he has in understanding your word. It was beautiful to hear that a few weeks ago at the classes meeting, and we honor you that you have given these gifts to our brother. We pray, Lord, that he may use them faithfully, that he may rightly handle the word of truth, that he may bring your gospel to your people, and that you would bless them in that. We pray that you'd also be with them in the coming years. They have so many different things they need to do in order to prepare for the mission work. Bless the time that he has with Reverend DeVisser, Dr. DeVisser. Grant, Lord, that the mission course that he takes may be a blessing for him, that he may be strengthened and encouraged for the task and understand how to do it well. We also pray for a blessing over the cultural training that they receive. Please help them, Lord, as they move into a new culture. There are so many changes. There's so many things to grieve, so many things that you leave behind. There's so many things that are confronting that you need to, to wrap your head around. And we pray for Tim and Lana that you would give them a rich measure of your spirit and that you'd help them through that process. Thank you at the same time, Lord, for the great blessing of allowing him to preach your gospel to your people. We pray that the word of truth may go out. We pray for a blessed opportunity for the missionaries to have beautiful relationships together, that they each have different gifts and that they use their gifts to strengthen and encourage and build each other up and also use them for the well-being of the churches. Please shine your face upon them, Lord, and please bless the work in PNG. We, bless the we pray that you bless the churches that they may grow in faith, that more men can become office bearers, that more people can make public profession of their faith, and that the maturity of the members of your congregation may continue to grow. Please shine your face upon them and bless them for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're gonna, you're invited for a cup of coffee. You're welcome to go over to the other room. Uh, maybe, um, Brother Spiker, can we please still sing hymn eight? Before we go, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then after that, if I could just ask you, after that, we have the, the election of office bearers. And so it's a bit tricky. Yeah, maybe what we'll do is we'll ask the men to stay here. We'll quickly sign you up. We'll do the election. After that, you can join the women for a cup of coffee. Can we do it that way? Him eight. <laughs>